Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. We're going to teach you a new song this morning, and I want you to sing it out with us once you get it. It's simply a prayer that the Lord would be magnified in our lives, that he would be made the central focus of our lives. So sing it with us when you get it. We're creation, suddenly articulate. The thousand tongues to lift one cry. And from north to south and east to west, we hear Christ be magnified.
these words as we sing them again. Name above. The name above all names is worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our Good morning. My name's Tad Moore. I work on staff here with the student ministry at Fellowship Fayetteville. I just to let you know what's going on with students. This last week, we launched our cell groups for 7th through 12th graders. Uh, they're meeting across Fayetteville in host homes. We had to shrink them down in a group smaller than 10. So our cell group leaders and host home families have put so much uh, intentional extra effort this year into making cell groups happen. And we're so thankful for all of you who have been a part of that with us and providing small groups for the students of this church. Yeah, and my name's Aaron Parks, and I get to work with the elementary students here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And as many of you heard, we will be starting back with our live in-person services here on campus next Sunday morning. And we're really excited that we get to do that. Now, there won't be FSM or Fate Kids services, and we're excited to get to take this opportunity to worship together with everyone in our church, regardless of age and life stage, uh, we get to worship together with the full family of faith here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so uh, if you feel comfortable coming to in-person services next week, uh, know that we're going to have to reduce numbers and, and social distance in the auditorium. So if you would, go to our website, fellowshipfayetteville.org, and right there on the homepage, you're going to see a button that says, uh, save or reserve my seat. So go and do that. Let us know you're coming. Please come wearing a mask, uh, and, and we're going to make this happen, and we're really excited to see you, uh, those of you who will be with us next Sunday. Yeah, and if you're not comfortable... Uh, joining us here on Sunday morning, we will continue to live stream our services uh, from here on out. And so continue to join us online uh, through our website or through Facebook Live. We would love to get to continue to worship with you. And we've actually heard many stories of you guys gathering together with your neighbors, with the people in your community, and you're either watching the services together or you're gathering around God's word, you're praying, you're worshiping together. We've heard about all of these street churches popping up all over Fayetteville or community groups getting together and worshiping together. And we're just so excited to see you uh, figure out ways to be the church here in Fayetteville. So just know that even though we haven't been meeting here, you all have been being the church all over our city. And it's just, it's super exciting to see. And that's the, the mission and vision of our church, uh, to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Jesus to Fayetteville and the world. And you're doing that uh, in your community groups, cell groups that just started, uh, reaching out to your neighbors, meeting the physical needs of those in our city who have been out of work or sick. Um, every family that has been continuing, missing Fayette kids, but continuing to engage their family and find creative ways to keep their kids involved with church throughout this time. You uh, are our pride and joy. We, we are so proud of you, uh, and, and 
you are this church. Uh, you are the church of Jesus, not just Fellowship Fayetteville, uh, but in all the world. And we love you, and we're praying for you. And if you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us. And so I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna move back into a time of worship of our incredible, awesome God. Father, thank you for this church um, and this, this local expression of, of your global church all over the world. Uh, but we love Fellowship Fayetteville, and we're so thankful to get to be a part of this community with these families uh, and, and individuals that are, have joined this body of believers. Would you be with them this morning as they worship in their homes or on the streets and their community groups? Um, Lord, would you receive this praise? Would it be pleasing to you because you deserve it? You are uh, the great and powerful Yahweh, uh, God of the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and we are amazed by you, so we want to offer you the praise that you deserve. Amen. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here. And a couple weeks ago, uh, we as a staff went around and just shared some, some stories about people in our body over the last six months who have either had their life changed, um, been baptized, community groups that have met on streets, as, as Aaron and Tad mentioned, in Dunn Street Church. And we went around and we were so encouraged to know that even though we weren't meeting together, the Lord was still moving. The Lord was still moving in our city. He was still changing people's hearts. And so this morning, we're gonna hear from Finley, and he's gonna, he's gonna teach us how Jesus is better than any idol that we could turn our eyes to. Um, and so I wanna read this verse over you this morning. This verse is from our, our passage, and I want you to hear these words. This is really, really good news for us, these words. This is what it says. This is Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. What we just read and what we just did a couple weeks ago was sharing stories, it's true. That God doesn't just live in a, in a building with walls where we gather, although we're all looking forward to that. But he's everywhere. And it's him who gives life. It's him who gives breath and he gives it to everyone. So we're gonna sing a song that says just that. And so I wanna invite you this morning wherever you're at, to sing it with us. Think about the words that we're singing, that he is life, that he is love. He deserves all of our praise. So let's sing this together. You give life, every voice. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is
lay between us how high the mountain I could knock on in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. This is true this morning. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living.
of heaven and earth. You are completely sovereign and self-sufficient and you don't need a single thing from me. As David confesses in Psalm 8, three and four, when you consider your heavens, the work of your, hand, of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Yet you care in ways that are so far beyond my comprehension. You give everyone life, breath, everything. In you, we live and have a significance that no one can take away from us. How dreadful it is when I place other things above you. You deserve to be at the center of my life. By your spirit, may I live out that purpose, acknowledging you alone as Lord. Help me adjust my life to your plan, knowing that in us, you see something worth saving. Amen. Well, fellowship... Fayetteville, welcome to church this morning. It is wonderful to have you here with us. It's great to get to gather with you uh, online uh, via technology, but we're looking forward to next week. We're excited about the opportunity to gather back in this place and get to experience this together. And so if you're able next week, register online. Come please join us. If you're not, we'll continue to be here. But it's just fun to have this opportunity before us. And it's fun to be a citizen of Fayetteville right now. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but this time of year, kind of this, this end of the, the season uh, of, of summers is wrapping up as we're kind of going into fall. I get excited about what's going on in this city. And for me, it's really fun because I grew up here. 
Uh, I am unashamedly um, biased about how great Fayetteville is. I'm a bit of a homer about this city, but I've gotten to take my kids to school. I drove through campus. I've gotten to kind of see the buzz that is this city as things are kind of beginning to take place. And uh, I don't know if you see this often, but uh, for the past few years, one of the publications, U.S. News and World Report, has said that Fayetteville is a top five city in this country as a place to live. Austin continues to be first somehow, but, but Fayetteville is quickly right thereafter. And so I just love this town. I love this city. And a lot of times people who have, have moved here, haven't grown up here, discover how great our city is and how wonderful it is to be a part of this community. And so uh, before a top five city, if, if someone were to ask me, hey, Finley, uh, what do you kind of think is the ethos? What's kind of the, the nature and culture of this city that we have here? How would you describe it? So I asked a few friends, kind of took a few polls, and here's kind of what I came up with. So uh, first of all, here in Fayetteville, if I were to describe our city, I would say that we love our experiences. Uh, Dixon Street is kind of the representative place of this kind of idea, the, the restaurants there, the social scene, the arts that are down there, the trails that run through all the way down to the Greek theater. And so uh, Fable kind of has this um, belief and uh, love for our experiences. Fable also is a place where the university is a major factor for us. And so all the education that is represented by the University of Arkansas and all the sports represented, our life kind of revolves around those two things in a lot of ways. We get to experience education and sports, and that's a lot of our city. Uh, Fayetteville uh, loves our environment. Fayetteville loves our trees and our trails. So Fable talks a lot about just kind of being a green city, and I appreciate a lot of those factors and those things that we have kind of in our culture as a city of Fable. But if I'm really honest, uh, the, 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 the cherry limeade from Sonic doesn't quite taste the same not in a styrofoam cup. It's just, the plastic just doesn't really do it for me if I'm just being totally honest. And so there's some tension there between me and the city a little bit. Uh, and lastly, I would say, if people were talking about Fayetteville, there's this kind of spirit of entrepreneurship. There's this kind of love for small business, for people coming out and starting their own thing and, and kind of experiencing the nature of kind of building a business. And so those are kind of the four things that I would say, hey, this is what kind of makes up Fayetteville, if I were describing it. And so as we take a look at, at our city as a church that is trying to uh, bring the gospel into our city, we need to know who we are. And we're going to see this same idea take place as we're continuing in our clarity series and looking uh, this morning at, at Acts chapter 17. And we're going to see the apostle Paul and what he is doing. Uh, Paul is going to enter into the city of Athens and he is going to kind of evaluate the city, and he is going to then speak the gospel truth into that city in an effective way that is going to communicate the truths in a way that they could understand. And so um, there is this uh, city of Athens. Uh, historically, we probably know a whole bunch about it. You've studied it in school. You've seen it kind of written in stories and movies and things like that. And so we have seen the church in Jerusalem, in Antioch, in Philippi, and now this morning we're going to look at the church in Athens. And so if I were to give a, a, a brief kind of description of the city of Athens, uh, here's what I would say. Some of the stuff you may have forgotten. It was a long time ago in history in like junior high and high school. But uh, the, the city of Athens was known, uh, we, we know it as probably the birthplace of democracy, 
where the idea of a plurality of people contributing to the city uh, was born. So democracy finds its birthplace in Athens. Uh, Athens is also known uh, famously for its mythology and the Parthenon and the place where where Zeus and Poseidon and and all of these gods were were kind of recognized. This Greek idea is is where this kind of mythology comes uh, comes from. Um, Athens is also known for its teachers and its philosophers. And so you think through the Aristotles, the Plato, the Socrates, this kind of long succession of thinkers and philosophers, that was a part of Athens. And then lastly, Athens was known um, as, as a place of war. They had a lot of internal war that took place between Athens and Sparta. And there's also the wars that took place between the Athenians and the Persians and that whole kind of Middle East space. And so this is the city that Paul is going to enter into. And Paul is going to uh, come to this place via Thessalonica and Berea. He had been investing in these other cities, bringing the truths of the gospel to this place, and he'd gotten chased out of town. Uh, The message of the gospel had so upended uh, the city and the culture and what was taking place that Paul had gotten chased out of town and he's coming to Athens. He and his ministry team had kind of split. He said, hey, uh, Timothy and Silas, you guys go this way. I'm gonna go down to Athens and this is where we're going to pick up our story this morning. And so we're going to be looking at Athens. Uh, past their prime, this is now a city that, that once was kind of the center of the, the kind of Western civilization. And now um, their kind of rule has died off in Rome, was now the superpower of the time. But Athens is still this major cultural city. And Paul walks into it. And we see this here in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so let's just stop right here. Paul walks into the city and he just takes some time. And he walks around and with his eyes is evaluating, what do I see as being important culturally to the people of this city? And so he sees all of these idols. This was the place. This was the, the place of the Greek gods. This was Athens, named after Athenia, like one of the, the great goddesses of the time. And so he walks around and sees these places of worship to Zeus and Apollo and Ares and Artemis and Hermes. And then it says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Uh, Paul was broken in his spirit. Uh, Paul had this distress, this urgency for him. He was provoked to action. Uh, This word distressed, other times in the scriptures, it's actually used to describe sour wine. And so think of it this way. If you've ever seen a child or you've experienced what happens when you, you bite into something very sour or you put a whole bunch of sour candy in your mouth, all of a sudden there is this, there's this face, there's this kind of like full body um, feel that comes over. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so sour. And your whole person is kind of overtaken with this taste that you are now experiencing. This is how Paul felt in his heart and in his spirit when he saw that this city was full of idols. He was greatly distressed. And he looked around and said within him, he was provoked and urged and almost like gripped by the fact that this city was lost. The city didn't have 
a relationship. It, it didn't have a place for this God that he was seeking to serve. And so what he did, verse 17, uh, it says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So here's what happens. So Paul goes throughout the city and sees with his eyes what is important to them, uh, the, the culture of the day. And then he says, okay, I'm not going to listen with my ears. I'm going to engage in conversation. And he goes to the openly religious, those in the synagogue. And then he goes to the marketplace or those who have a different religion one of their culture that they are upholding. And he begins to investigate and to listen, what is it that makes this city who it is? And so uh, he wasn't taken over by this city and their beliefs, but rather sought to be taken over by the um, desire that he had to speak the gospel into this place. And he engages with these people. We see in verse 18, it says this, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So he's engaging these people. He's talking in this uh, kind of marketplace. And he has these different um, people who are going to come with their different philosophies of the day, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And they heard what he was saying. This is actually a, a very simple explanation of the gospel message right here. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Simply, I mean, that is the gospel message right there. And they said, who is this and what is he saying? They called him a babbler. They said he, he's, he's talking like a crazy person. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've, I've had this on, on numerous occasions. Whether it's talking with a family member, whether it's talking with neighbors, whether it's talking with people on airplanes, when I've traveled to different parts of the world, when I've engaged with people of a different belief than me, and I open my mouth and begin to articulate what it is I believe about God, who he is, what he created, what he has done through Jesus and sending his own son, that a man came to this life, born of a virgin, was resurrected from the dead. People look at me kind of funny. People look at me and kind of go, I don't understand what you're saying. Are, are you making up this story? It sounds kind of crazy. And if I'm honest, sometimes it does sound kind of crazy. But then I remember the life change that's happened in me and in so many people that I know because this is what is true. But for these people who never heard this before, it was, it, was, it was babbling. It was crazy talk for them to hear. And he's engaging these two different set of beliefs. Um, these Epicureans, uh, these were people who believed, uh, they, were, they were more agnostic in their belief, not believing in a God per se. They were more secularly driven. Uh, they believed that in this life, for them, there wasn't anything to fear as far as the gods were to do in their life. And there wasn't really anything to, to feel bad about death. All that mattered was this here and now and what they could experience. Does it sound like anything that we still believe today? We hear this in our culture. You know what? The, all that matters is what's here right now. I can be happy. You can be happy. So long as your happiness doesn't infringe on my happiness, we're just gonna enjoy this life together. 
And then he was talking to the Stoics, a, a different set of people who believed differently. Uh, they were more pantheistic in their belief that, that all the people and all creation were kind of collectively together. And the result was what people were then to do was if we could just achieve this kind of unity of humanity, and we could just kind of experience the, the, the love of people kind of uh, collectively caring and serving and being for each other, does it sound like something we hear today? If we could all just love each other more. And so they hear this message of a God who created and sent his son and Jesus in the resurrection. And so what happened is they wanted to hear more. And so in verse 19, it says, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. So Paul is taken to this special place, this, this hill. It's often referred to as Mars Hill. And that was the Roman name for it. And this was the place where people, uh, powerful people would gather and they would discuss and talk about ideas of the day. That's what they loved to do. And, and here's what it would look like for us in our context here in Fayetteville. Uh, if you have ever experienced game day, Saturday game day in Fayetteville. Uh, what happens is when you're walking to the stadium, there's this specific hill. It's right at the corner of Maple and Stadium. And there's this hillside that if you sit just up on this hillside, you can actually look down into Reynolds Razorback Stadium. And I love the fact that when they designed this stadium, uh, they still left that place open so that you can look down into the field and see everything that's going on. So roughly, so to speak, the Areopagus would be kind of like this hill in Fayetteville. And the Acropolis, the Parthenon, all of the idols would have been essentially where Razorback Stadium is. About that distance, about the same somewhat similar setup. So imagine you're sitting there on this hill engaging in this conversation. And Paul stands up. Paul stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So here's what Paul has done. Uh, Paul has uh, walked into this city, and with his eyes, he's looked to understand the culture of the day. What is it they believe? And then he engaged the people with listening ears and said, okay, what is it that they believe? And then they brought him to a place and he's gonna deliver this speech. And he's gonna do what, what every great teacher does is he's gonna understand the culture and then he's gonna build some rapport. And he's gonna engage them and he says, hey, I've walked around your city. I've noticed everything about you. And you know what? I noticed this one thing. Uh, you are so concerned with the gods and making sure that, that they are, are rightly appeased and related to that, that you have even built this altar to an unknown God. That if by chance there is a God that's out there that, that you have somehow overlooked or ignored or just don't know, you don't want him to be angry with you. And so he says, hey, let me tell you about this unknown God. Paul's ability to understand his culture and connect with his audience is remarkable, and for us as ministers of the gospel, we need to understand some of his methods, but also what he's going to deliver, the truth about who God is. 
And so I'm gonna proclaim to you this unknown God and here's what he says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. You see what he's doing. Uh, What Paul is doing is he's standing on this hill and he's addressing uh, across the way. He's looking, he's saying, the God that I proclaim to you is the creator. He's made everything. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is unlike any God that you've ever heard of, conceived of, and I'm bringing him here to you. He is a creator God. And then he goes on to say, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You see, the concept of of these gods, the concept of these idols that had been created by these people in Athens was this. We, as humans, are going to build for us representatives of God who is in heaven. We are going to take and make with our own hand something that represents and connects us to God in heaven. And that is going to be the object of our worship and our focus and give us our identity. And what Paul is doing is is exactly reversing this order. He's saying it's not about humans who have built something to, to connect with God in heaven. He's saying there is a creator God in heaven who has actually made something in his own image and has placed it here on this earth. It's not humans making images of God. God is making an image of himself, and it's us. That's who men and women are. You see, this idea of image and idol, they're interchangeable. When we use the word idol, we mean something that functions as a God. But when we use the word image, we say, this is what God has created in his own likeness that we've seen in Genesis. And this idea of, of human beings having this life and breath And that God has created everything. And it's not as if he needs us. He has actually done this out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of a relationship that he wants to have with his people. And so um, here's what we see when it comes to um, idols, uh, both in the time of Athens and also, if we're honest, in our own hearts. Here's how we identify idols. And what Paul is saying and what we believe to be true. When you identify an idol, Uh, First of all, it's man-made. It's something that uh, man has made and fashioned for his own uh, benefit, for his own help, for his own aid, for his own worship. Uh, Idols, secondarily, are oftentimes objects of hope, things that people believe will somehow sustain them, things that people hope will actually deliver them from difficulty or give them purpose. Idols also consume resources. Uh, They consume time, energy, money, And lastly, idols are identity giving. They give you a place and a purpose. And if if I don't have this thing that matters so much to me, who even am I? You see, Paul was doing this for this time and these people in this place. And it was very easy to see that they had built idols of worship. They were trying to appease or connect with the gods. And yet for us, We continue to make idols in our own life. It just looks a bit different. You see, for us, we can form or fashion an idol out of almost anything because we are able to make things. We place our hope in them. They consume our time and resources, and they oftentimes give us identity. 
You see, for me, in a lot of ways, I can identify with, with several different uh, types of idols that I can create in my own life. I see this in our community. I see this in our family, in my friends. You see, it's really easy to be um, concerned with our appearance. Uh, whether it is the, the way that our body looks, whether it is the clothes that we wear, whether it is the, the cars that we drive, there's this appearance that we want to keep up that somehow functionally gives us hope and identity. Do you think that people place their hope and their resources and their identity in the political party? You see, if, just, if we just have this particular party in power, if this leader is just the person that we choose to have, somehow all these problems that I encounter and that our world has are gonna be solved. You see, in our culture right now, we're going through this political cycle and people in this church and in our community believe that both sides are going to deliver something that neither actually can. People can make an, an, an idol out of political parties. Uh, oftentimes for me, I find that, that technology is one of those things that, that functionally gives me identity or hope. Have you ever left your phone at home? Have you ever left for the day and you've left your phone at home? I, I literally feel like I'm, I'm walking around without a piece of clothing on my body. I'm just not sure how I'm even gonna function throughout the day. How am I gonna connect with people? How am I gonna know what is even going on in this world? What if I miss something? That security that it provides for me is something that I oftentimes trust in. Heaven knows it consumes our resources of time every single day. People make idols out of money and finance. If I, if I just uh, reach that next ladder, I'll have enough money in my job that I can kind of live the life I've always wanted. If my portfolio just gets big enough, if my real estate empire that I'm building is just gonna uh, add a couple more options. You see, we continue to find ways to make idols that give us hope, that consume our resources, and that give us identity year after year, day after day. And Paul is speaking directly into that in the city of Athens. But for us, for us, he's doing the exact same thing. There's a conviction that we have to deal with. And so Paul is speaking to the idols of this time. And he says, he says that, that this idea of, of Jesus and the resurrection that God has come, and he did this, verse 27, God has done this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see, what has happened is God has made us, and he has come down to this place as one of us, and has, took, and has taken on our sin and has taken on our shame in the form of a cross. And he came back and, and rose from the grave. And this is the message of the gospel. And here's what I love that Paul says. He is not far. He did this so that we would seek after him. So, so here's, what, here's Paul's gospel argument, all right? Here's, here's the way that he kind of fashions this. He, he builds this rapport. He, he kind of grabs their attention. He talks about this unknown God that they have in their places of worship. He says, let me tell you about him. There's a God who's a creator that places him in a position of authority that gives him the, the right to rule, that gives him this place of superiority, but he's also created us in his image, and so as we look out in our world around us, as we see um, this divisiveness that we have in our time, in our age today, 
over the rights of people, we see that every person, no matter how old or how young, we see that every person, no matter the color of their skin, we see that every single person, no matter what their socioeconomic place, that they have been created in the image of God. And that God is now going to give everyone life and breath and meaning and sustain them. We don't have to go out and functionally find other ways to make it through this life. He says, I'm going to create you and then I'm going to be with you. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not far off. I'm not this God that you hope someday returns to this place of worship. I'm actually near and I'm close to you. So don't be seeking after Don't be running after. Don't be throwing your time and energy and resources and identity after other things because I've created you. I want to sustain you and I'm not far from you. This is the message of the gospel. And Paul delivers it in such a way that is both clear but poignant for the community that he was speaking into. And he says in verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Anything that we can create, anything that we can functionally worship. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands all people everywhere to repent. You see, for us, uh, we, we take on both the, the great distress that, that, that Paul had for a lost city, and yet we also feel this conviction of us personally that we are just as prone as the people of Athens and just as prone as we always have been to functionally create other things to worship. And so what Paul is saying, you have one choice here. That God, who is creator, sustainer, not far off, has called us to repent. And so this morning, this is, our, this is our simple ask. This is the simple challenge and conclusion for us is we need to be a people who repent first of our own idols that we have functionally created as things that give us our identity, consume our resources, repent of it. You have to name it. You have to say what it does and how it functionally is working its way into your heart, into a place where you're trusting in it more than you are in your creator God and the goodness of the gospel that has been given to you. And then we have to take that message. We have to take that message uh, in, a, in a wonderful and contextually um, understandable way into our city because we're sitting here uh, watching our city in desperate need of the gospel. And so fellowship, we're asking you this morning, we need to repent You see, because the truth of the gospel is the gospel is more wonderful than any idol that we create. The gospel is more powerful. It is more life-changing. It is more um, hope-giving. It is more identity-forming. It is more purposeful for us to get out of bed every single day. It is more wonderful than any idol that we create. And we must repent of the fact that so often I do this every day. I find new ways to trust and hope in something other than God. And it calls for repentance and confession and calling this is what I'm trusting God more than you. And then we take that hope that we have in Jesus and his resurrection and we're able to um, lean into our city around us in an effective way. And we see what Paul did. Lives were changed. 
We don't see a great city was created, but we see lives were changed by the power of the gospel. This is what we hope for us as a church, what we hope for our city as well. So fellowship, let's repent and confess and hope and let me pray. Father God, we trust and believe that God, you have made us and you have formed us and um, we are yours and you desire to sustain us and yet we look for that sustainableness oftentimes everywhere else but you. But God, you have not left us or abandoned us. God, you're not far from us and so may we feel your presence and your goodness and may we have a deep hope and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done and what he means for us. And I pray for our church and our city and for the people in our community and for the moms and the dads that we might be people who are both changed by the gospel and ministers of the gospel at the same time. We love you. We trust you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just sing these words with us. For nothing, surely nothing of our efforts and no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house in vain. It's builders to you. Tomorrow's game Tell me What is your life Amidst That vanishes At dawn All glory Be to Christ We sing this together All glory Be to Christ Our King All glory Be to together with his will that we ask to be done.
Fellowship Faithful, he's the only one worthy of all glory. He's better than the idols that our heart makes. So this week, we look to him. And just a reminder, if you'd like to be here with us next week in person, go online at fellowshipfayetteville.org and reserve your seat. And we'll see you next week. We love you. God bless.